right, let's talk about what's going on in provincial politics, shall we? Vaughn Palmer joins us now from the Vancouver Sun. Good morning, Vaughn. Good morning, Simi, and good news for public sector workers. They're going to get their cost of living adjustment, the one that was promised in the last round of bargaining. Oh, really? And how much is that? So they were already in line for 5.5% come April the 1st. That was in the contract mandate. And many, many, not all of them have already signed contracts. Some of them are still in negotiation. But 5.5% April the 1st, plus there was uh, something we haven't seen for a long time in bargaining, uh, a cost of living adjustment. And it was tied to the inflation rate over the past 12 months. The numbers came in this week, and the government looked at the numbers, hauled out its pocket calculator and said, uh, public sector workers are going to get the adjustment. It's an additional 1.25%. So put that together with the 5.5, 6.75%. Just under 7% pay increase for public sector workers come April the 1st, so end of the month. Okay, that's um, quite the impact of inflation then on government finances. Yeah, they, uh, they, but they did allow for it. So the budget we got on uh, back in February, right at the end of February, uh, it included a lot of money set aside in unallocated contingencies. It included billions of dollars. And we were given a list of what those might be used for, uh, pandemic, uh, new programs, dealing with inflation and one of the things they said was it was to pay additional increases if necessary in the public sector contracts so the government gives us the numbers on what it costs 1.25 percent additional pay increase so above and beyond what was already accounted for that would add about mm, half a billion dollars to the government's wage bill come April the 1st, on top of the increase that's already there. Uh, they have more than enough money to cover that. I think they saw it coming when they concluded the budget and made it public, Simi. They already knew that inflation was probably, uh, for the past year, was probably going to hit the threshold and the cost of living adjustment would have to be provided. Right, and this was something that MLAs were supposed to get to, but they're not getting that. Yeah, so it's interesting. Uh, when the legislature sat last fall, the Liberals had hauled out their pocket calculators, and MLA pay was tied to the cost of living. This, all kinds of stuff was tied to the cost of living back when inflation was no big deal. It was an easy way to deal with stuff. So the MLAs were going to get inflation. Well, you know, the Liberals went, hmm, uh, public isn't going to stand for that. And the New Democrats accused the NDP of playing politics, which, uh, sorry, the NDP accused the Liberals of paying, playing politics, which they were. And the NDP then went, yeah, but they're right. So so all MLAs agreed last December there would be no increase for MLAs at all come April the 1st. So they basically froze MLA pay. They didn't even give themselves 2%. So... Uh, no increase for the MLAs. They're still making hmm, about $115,000 a year as the base pay for an MLA, and cabinet ministers and premiers get more than that. But uh, no, they, the uh, government recognized that that wasn't going to fly, and so that isn't going to happen on April the 1st. Okay, and what is also this that I'm hearing, Vaughn, about there's actually more money than had been anticipated for the NDP to spend this year, but they're not going to be able to do it all? Uh, yes. So there was an indication when, again, we got the budget 
that the $5.7 billion surplus that the government announced back in at the end of November, so for the first six months of the fiscal year, that the revenue was still coming in above expectations, and there might be more than that in the surplus. And if you read through the fine print of the budget, you realize that some of the big sources of revenue were still outperforming expectations. Well, we now see with, hmm, what, 10 days left before the end of the fiscal year, March 31st, there's probably still, I don't know, two or three billion dollars to be allocated. The fine print of the budget also indicated what was likely to happen. Even with all the spending that the Premier's been announcing, the government was saying we're probably going to be able to pay down some of the debt too. So I think uh, even with all of the uh, check writing that the Premier's been doing, and tired as his arm must be, He's not going to be able to spend the entire surplus before uh, March 31st. So some of the money will be left over and some of that will go to pay down the debt. Okay, there's that. Now we're also going to talk about recall. Because I feel like periodically, Vaughn, over the years, we've talked about this because somebody tries and it inevitably fails. And here's another case of that. Yeah, I was thinking actually that uh, all of us in the news media should probably program a user key on our computers that say recall never succeeds to save us the time. Uh, There was an attempt to recall the premier in his riding. It was mounted by a guy whose uh, political roots include working for Bill Vanderzam in the past, and he seemed to have links to the truck convoy. He was stirring up concern about uh, vaccination mandates and uh, Bill 36, that uh, legislation that the New Democrats put through last fall, Uh, to re-regulate the medical professions and the colleges. Uh, All of that uh, went into a nifty package of paranoia to recall the premier. I don't think anybody expected it to succeed because BC's recall law was written to make sure it almost never succeeded, and it didn't succeed. He got about a sixth of the signatures that he needed right. before the threshold. The uh, thing is, some, so of another get, failure. some of them get closer than others, right? And this one, it feels like, was not even close. Well, the user key would have to include an asterisk, Simi, and that's for the one that actually came close, which was the attempt to recall MLA Paul Reitzma, who all you need to do to say in certain political circles, Warren Botanko, because oh Reitzma was caught writing fake letters to the editor under a pseudonym, Warren Botanko, letters to the editor praising himself. And he got caught by his own local newspaper. MLA Reitzma is a liar and we can prove it, was the memorable headline. That triggered a recall campaign. That recall was likely to succeed. They were well on the way to getting the necessary number of signatures to force a by-election, to force Reitzma out, and uh, Reitzma himself resigned. And uh, that's pretty much it. He hasn't been heard from much since. Every now and then he 
A couple of times, I think he decided to try to get himself reelected to Parksville Council, and all that did was revive a bunch of stories about Warren Botanko, which is still a laugh line, as I say, in some political circles, although it now, gosh, it was almost 30 years ago this happened. Oh, no, seemed hard to believe on that one. Uh, so, okay, that one came close. This one, as you put out, not nah, very close at all. by a mile, yeah, yeah, no. And there is one still active. Uh, really? Attempt to recall Dan Davies, the Liberal MLA up in the Peace River country. That I, you know, that that's not going anywhere either, as far as I know. And that's related to uh, some issue with his constituents, where some people felt he didn't stand up for them enough on vaccination mandates. So, uh, but look, uh, you know, recall there's been 28 campaigns so far. And apart from the Reitzma one, uh, none even came close. And the law was written to make sure that recall would only succeed in the most extraordinary circumstances, and we haven't seen those very much. It's not, it was not written to say every time you're mad at the government, you can recall its members. It was written to deal with extraordinary misconduct on the part of the local MLA. And I think that's how the public sees it. And I think that's why these petition campaigns to gather enough signatures fall well short of the target. You know, it's funny, you don't often hear politicians saying, we need to fix recall legislation. Uh, the Liberals in opposition back in the 1990s used to talk about toughening the legislation. That was a long time when ago, When they though. got in, they went, <laughs> yeah. nah. You know, we don't want to make it easier to recall us. And the New Democrats haven't even talked about it. I recall it's a poor fit with our political system, something the Americans use a lot of it in their system. California has it, some other West Coast states, but uh, it's never caught on here. Same with initiative, uh, legislation initiated by the voters uh, to impose on the government. The only one of those that ever came close to succeeding was the HST campaign. It didn't get all the necessary signatures, but it got enough that the government agreed to a referendum on the HST, which, of course, failed. So, you know, I think the law is there for we have elections to deal with governments and legislation we don't like and we're not happy with. I don't know as though we need some interim thing you can do between elections to harass governments and harass your opponents. But uh, some people think you can. The law is written to make sure it doesn't succeed. Most of these things, all of them, I would argue, are a waste of time. But you make a good point, though. Sometimes it's enough to scare yeah. the government into doing something. That's a good point. Right? Yeah, no, it, it is there for extraordinary yeah. circumstances. Real outrages. You know, HST, the Liberals uh, said nothing about doing it during exactly. the election. Ten weeks later, imposed it on the province, ran a wretched justification for it. And it cost them politically and got rid of the HST. So, yeah, you make a good point. It is there for use in extreme cases of abuse, yeah. and that's probably as it should be. All right. Thank you so much, Vaughn. Bye-bye, Simi.